Smartcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? Now, do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. We often bond a family that very few can understand. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we're talking a movie that is available exclusively on VOD, The Mauritanian. Help me out here. There has got to be a name for this syndrome. What does it mean when a thing happens and you're like... Oh, man. Crazy. But that's all you do about it. Disassociated? Well, it's not total. It's like, it's, it's not apathy. Like, if you find out they are torturing detainees, holding them without due process for a dozen years in Guantanamo Bay, this is an outrage and inhumanity. It needs to stop. And it's portrayed in that graphic and vivid detail in the Mauritanian. What are we going to do about it? And you're like, wow, that sucks. And you're like sitting eating your salad or you're drinking a beer by the beach. And then the credits roll and you're like, whew, do we have any toast? Uh, desensitization? Is it? Because I don't think that we are desensitized. I think that in a lot of ways we're radicalized and we definitely embrace and hold up and campaign and march. But there's, it's like limited bandwidth syndrome. It's like you can't fight all the fights and... You're not siding with the captors. You're not enabling. Elective denial? Possibly. But that's still pejorative. It's just, what fights do you choose to fight? If the Mauritanian existed in a bubble and we didn't have the torture report from a few years ago, would we have regarded it differently? I was thinking about that. The torture report did kind of prime me for this. It was certainly no great reveal to me when Muhammadu starts getting tortured. It seemed like the filmmakers were setting it up as some kind of surprise. And it's sad to think that it really wasn't. And even how they showed it to be so vicious, it wasn't surprising to me. And I think that there's there was certainly amount of desensitization there for me. I mean, it is essentially the torture report to Electric Boogaloo. Eternal <laughs> torture of the innocent mind. It's a little more balanced than the torture report, I think. It's clear that the storytellers are sympathetic toward Jodie Foster's Nancy Hollander and the detainee Mohamedou. 
But on the other side, Benedict Cumberbatch's character was also sympathetic. He had a conscience, right? A lot of the characters in the torture report were these sadist caricatures who had no conscience about what they were doing in the torture that they were perpetuating. In their own way, both Benedict Cumberbatch and the Jodie Foster characters were freedom fighters or freedom lawyers or... (laughs) (laughs) prosecutors or defense or whatever they were just on separate sides and because we had both of these these agendas i thought inevitably this guy is going to be because they're sympathetic on both sides he's going to be innocent and when he drove away from his mom they made such a big deal about it i was like oh he's definitely not going to see his mom again yeah i didn't know where he was going i knew that it was post 9-11 because we got the lower third for that yeah but i was trying to figure out his character and the way he was set up wasn't what he ultimately ended up being detained for a few years later when jodie foster walks into the picture Mohamedou was funny and lively and likable and engaging. And I'm like, okay, if he were portrayed as the convicted 9-11 mastermind or one of the planners or the recruiters, they wouldn't be treating him this way. Why are they doing it? It was almost as though they assigned to him, the filmmakers, assigned to him an American sensibility. He was outraged as though he believed he had the right to due process. Where in Mauritania and growing up, the actual person, Amadou, said that he looked toward the West, to Canada, to the United States, because the Western court system and the legal system was supposed to be just. What made him think that he was going to be treated fairly? It was the American mindset of outrage at not being treated fairly. Well, not only American sensibility seeks justice, I would consider that a relatively universal sensibility. Well, unless you have reason to expect fair treatment, no one in his country allows for that. When he's taken away without probable cause, not read any Miranda rights when he's taken from his tent post-wedding in Mauritania, What made him assume that he was going to have civil rights? An innate sense of justice? I mean, he talks about how the public fear the police in Mauritania and in other places in the East. Not to say that people don't fear the police in the United States. We've seen some pretty egregious examples of that just recently. But it doesn't mean that they don't think that's wrong. I'm trying to examine this movie from a logical perspective because the ride I was taken on seemed a little bit awkward in that I wasn't sure on which side I was supposed to land. Mm. It became very clear very quickly that Benedict Cumberbatch was a stand-up guy who was personally invested. I don't know whether it was a conflict of interest that he should be allowed to try to prosecute this case or to bear bear witness or whatever his role was going to be because he lost someone personally in the the attack. He's like, I'm going to get this guy and I'm going to tell my buddy's mom that I'm going to get this guy or her husband. Right. His buddy's widow. And if that were the case, and if this case were going to have a clear outcome, one of them was going to be the victor and the other one was going to be the loser. I didn't see either of these characters becoming those things. And it helped that he removed himself by the end. I guess what I'm suggesting is that the Mauritanian ultimately held very few surprises for me. Not having an idea of the historical precedent of this movie, it was obvious. The only thing that was a surprise in this movie was Mohamedou himself and how likable 
and engaging he was in the face of the torture and the long imposition, so much so that I thought that it was more chronological than it was in reality. We've long talked about these kinds of movies and how the timelines kind of don't matter. Especially when they're jumping back and forth. Right. And maybe that's because time, when he's in prison like that, sort of blurs together. But by the time we met him and Jodie Foster and Shailene Woodley first entered his cell, like Clarice Starling. It's uh, Clarice and Revlon Red. By the time we meet him for the first time, he's already been through years of torture. As a matter of fact, the worst years of his imprisonment, arguably speaking, were behind him at that point. Right. And he's joking and funny and he's reserved because he doesn't want to be heard. But the effervescence comes through. And at the end, when he's listening to Bob Dylan and laughing and smiling and, th- and enjoying life and throwing his hands up in the air, that wasn't a surprise because he had been established as this personage. Even behind bars, he saw the, or behind fence, I guess, chain link fence, we saw, you know, his humanity kind of endure. So that wasn't a surprise. It was just, <laughs> yeah. a, it was, it was just a surprise that he would be this uplifted, happy figure. Yeah, all the archival at the end really does serve to retroactively corroborate his personality, right? Right. And juxtaposing that with the horrible torture and the misery and the years of just when he thinks he's going to be exonerated. Nope. You got six more years, buddy. It doesn't match juxtaposing those two things and what this movie was, which was horrible and hard to watch and kind of unpleasant with the end. It's incongruent. And who's buying the Mauritanian in 4K with a digital copy? You know, who's paying 20 bucks to rent it on Amazon Prime? (laughs) Freedom fighters and crusaders and and political activist types and like far lefters are going to be like, let's get some popcorn and watch the Mauritanian and, and down with the government. I mean, it's hard to know what is the resiliency of the human spirit and what is Muhammadu as a person, his unique personality, and what is what can be attributed to Muhammadu's faith. He talks about forgiveness and its correlation with freedom and that it comes from a higher power. And, you know, certainly wouldn't be the first time I see someone crediting their peace with their lot in life to God. It just never lent itself as a character sketch for someone who was ever supposed to be guilty. My question about the Mauritanian is, if this story is true and if... Muhammadu's involvement in 9-11, if there was any at all, wasn't just glossed over? Like, if he really had nothing to do with 9-11, how did we, as the United States, get it so wrong? Like, how is that possible? Well, Jodie Foster said no one just gets a call from Osama bin Laden's cell phone. Right. Sat phone. Maybe it was his sat phone. Maybe it was his cousin. But there was a chapter left out of the Mauritanian in which Mohamedou went to Canada before 9-11 happened. And he was connected with terrorist cells, so much so that before 9-11, the Canadian government was following him, observing him, tracking him. There were reports that he was laying in bed one day and he heard drilling sounds right behind his head and he called the police. He said that was the final straw. He believed that was the authorities drilling and trying to put in 
listening devices. Something was happening. I don't know what. Was he exonerated despite him having some level of connection? Or was he on the periphery of a real terrorist cell and just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time? I guess that's not the burden of the law. The burden of the law is to convict someone on the basis of evidence, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's almost like the Mauritanian takes the same position as Jodie Foster's character. She is not really interested in how he was involved or not. She was interested in how his justice was being served and that he was being detained without charges was wrong. Well, for the narrow story they were trying to tell, for all intents and purposes, in order to get from point A to point B, point B being his exoneration, her only avenue was to see it through. And that could be a justification for her arrival at the truth, I guess. But she was just doing her job, and it really didn't matter to her whether or not he was guilty. Just like the confession didn't sway her the same way it did Shailene Woodley's character, but rather that when she gets to the end, she knows that due process was carried out, and thus his conviction is beyond reproach, beyond examination or overturning or appeal, that he was fairly convicted. But that doesn't lead to redemption for her. She didn't win. She just saw the thing through to the end. They won their case, but it was appealed, and ultimately he he was released. So how did she not win? Because her interest wasn't in winning the game. Her interest was in seeing it through fairly win or lose. And so the achievement, the big sigh of relief and the tears of joy and the hugging, all that, that wasn't a part of her character. And so it wasn't a part of me as the viewer because it seemed pretty obvious for me the way he was being portrayed from the outset that he wasn't guilty and that his exoneration, while I didn't expect it to be 12 years later, was an inevitability, especially when Benedict Cumberbatch drops out. And so I'm just waiting for him to be released. And there wasn't the feeling of relief or justice or anything like that. And therein, I think, lies the problem. Undoubtedly a message movie. We've talked about the torture report, dark waters, and movies like this, where it is a grim procedural that gets really in your face about the horrible aspects of the human condition when you're out of sight of the laws and the mores that bind you conventionally to the system. And and Guantanamo is in Cuba for a reason. It's the Wild West down there. Anti-terrorism is a pretty rough area you have to anticipate and stop these things before they happen. If I may play devil's advocate for a minute, once 9-11 happens, you lost. And getting the people isn't justice. All those people are still dead. Pearl Harbor, when it gets bombed, and then Alec Baldwin and Ben Affleck go racing off to do a retaliatory bomb strike, that's just revenge. You're not, you didn't win. You didn't save those people. So anti-terrorism has to be about hunches, about following the best leads, credible intel, and he seemed to have those markers. Mohamedou was under suspicion by the Canadian government. He did have all the ties. Now, holding him without due process for so long was definitely the wrong thing to happen, but paranoia was high, and the pressure was on Cheney and Bush to really deliver something in in a way that was satisfactory to the American people. We needed to catch bin Laden, but no one knew what to do. And they detained people using the best intelligence. And if Mohamedou was completely innocent, it's really horrible. But I think for 
counterterrorism, you need to be able to counter in advance. And, and I don't know how it works. I don't want to be in this situation. But rounding up the usual suspects, the highest profile likely suspects, doesn't seem like a terrible idea to me. And because you don't know and you can't prove, they use these extreme tactics based on fear and hate and subjugation to power and helplessness that are easily and clearly defined as torture 20 years on. That's the point. It's not, you don't need to have a law degree to know that it's unlawful and also just morally not right to detain someone without charges for 14 years or to torture them. Isn't it just kind of as simple as that? Yes. We stated very clearly in our other review, don't torture people. I'm not going to torture people. It seems like it should be that obvious. Now, how do you prevent terrorism? I have no idea. And so we see the injustice on both sides. We see Americans losing their lives, being angry, being hurt, needing accountability. And we see this guy being pulled off the street and having water poured on him. And we're like, this is outrageous. He needs not only to be exonerated, but to be compensated for the time he spent and for the people who tortured him to be brought to justice. This is no less humane than assuming that this person wreaked havoc on the American public by perpetrating 9-11. We're just killing people on a smaller scale. But? Exactly. What's the but? Is the but sitting through the movie and feeling unpleasant and feeling, well, this is our penance? Like, I'm going to sit and take this movie because I deserve it for what I did to Muhammadu? Who is watching the Mauritanian and being like, dude, you got to check this one out? They torture (laughs) that dude so good. Like, is it the torture pornists? Or is it the people with the righteous indignation and this is confirming the long-held suspicion that our idea of freedom and liberty is a sham? Well, it's kind of like you're questioning, should movies be made off of true stories? Like, movies are so many things. They are entertaining and they need to be if they're going to work at their most fundamental level. But it's undeniable that movies are also mouthpieces for particular points of view they are spotlights to shine on into dark places they are or waters they are they are they are megaphones with people on soapboxes they are windows into people's minds and souls i mean this is maybe it's not a blockbuster movie but this is definitely a movie for some people is it accurate Jodie Foster talked about Nancy Hollander, the character she portrayed, and she said that this lady is still working and still advocating for human rights, and she's a very lovely lady. But that's kind of boring on film, so we got to jazz it up. All we need to know about Nancy Hollander on film is what's in front of us. We don't need to know about her husband or her family life, or you don't know anything about my, my personal life. All that matters is what I do here. I do this in, in rooms like this for people like you. That's what I do, and that's all that matters. And that's exactly how she was portrayed, but it wasn't accurate. Was all the torture accurate? I'm not sure. Was Marseille, or the prisoner with the number, whose whose number I can't recall, was it all factual? Because the sympathy that it draws, or the outrage that it produces, is, I think, kind of tied to the accuracy of what we're seeing. I guess you can't really know unless you read the MDRs. And like the torture report or like Dark Waters, they did the thing where you finally get the freedom of information thing clearance and then they drop off an entire warehouse full of boxes of files for you to go through. 
Right. And it's not until, until someone directs you to the correct box, marked translations. <laughs> Mohamedou was portrayed as having a wife. We saw her in the glimpse, and I was like, okay, he's obviously innocent, because why would we be playing, this movie be playing to his humanity? Maybe he did make a friend. Was that friend taken away and killed? Was his death made to look like he suicided in his own cell? Who has the job? Who grows up and joins the military? And they're like, okay, so you have a special mission here. You're going to be the lady prison rape torturer. You're going to sex the inmates as a torture method. And she'll be like, okay, doing it for Uncle Sam. <laughs> well, I was surprised that Benedict Cumberbatch's uh, stew gets away pretty easily. Like, he's not court-martialed for disobeying orders and get, and stepping off the case. Like, he seemed like he got away pretty easy for a government gig. Well, they asked him, and he declined. They did, but he, you know, he was a Navy attorney, and he was under orders. Uh, I, I just don't feel like you get to walk away from that kind of stuff. This movie had several questions for me. I mean, the torture report, that was based around Guantanamo Bay as well, as I recall. And there were a lot of questions raised where it's eye-opening. I mean, we knew as soon as we heard the rock music that that was the torture, right? And the right. waterboarding or the water pouring or whatever. I felt like they were throwing everything they had to make us understand Guantanamo's bad, okay? Tortures, and undoubtedly, the inhumanity that he suffered especially if he was innocent of a crime. I mean, even if he was the world's preeminent terrorist, there are ways to not torture people so that normal people with normal stomachs wouldn't feel awful about themselves at the, at the end of the day. I, I just don't understand. Like, where do you find these people? Do they all happen? Is this where you, like, identify members of law enforcement or military police, you know, early on? They're like, oh, he's definitely got, like, a Gitmo type. Let's get him down there where he can reach his, his or her full potential i'm really kind of surprised right now with your naivete there's some gnarly people out there it's true but those gnarly people should not be in positions of power I, I it's supposed to all be a means to an end all of this torture and the horrible things no one is doing we don't have a you know a sadist naked prison camp for funsies we're trying to find the people responsible for 9-11 and thus prevent future attacks. It's all about liberty and freedom and America, right? But it just seems like in the execution of duties, things happen and people get executed. And, and I'm even surprised by my vitriol because I was trying to come up with this sort of malaise after watching this movie where I, I sh should have been outraged and I, I should have been all Rob Balot. And I was like, whew, that was unpleasant and possibly unnecessary. I think what you're feeling is not necessarily malaise or dissociation or, in, or desensitization. I think what you're feeling is helplessness. And we came against this with the torture report. Like, how do you run up against the American machine and make a difference? All you can do is maybe throw a, a wrench in the wheel and the spokes or whatever. Right. When you know that it's going to get chewed up, you just have to have an endless supply of wrenches. Yeah. I don't know, man. Nobody's making the torture report or Dark Waters or the Mauritanian for fun and profit. They're hoping that it's a serious movie with serious themes like Spotlight, which is going to bring attention to a particular issue. And if we have to undergo some unpleasant things to get there, then that's just collateral damage. That's just that's our pound of flesh for shedding light on a terrible topic. 
and when it doesn't succeed, when the Mauritanian is completely overlooked by the Academy, then what is the point? Why did I subjugate Kelly to this movie? Uh, who I, And when we talked about it briefly, all she was willing to say was it was just another one of those movies that remind us how terrible the world is, Aww. how terrible people in the world can be. The grimy underbelly is exposed and we get a glimpse and we don't have the sword to drive through it and kill the dragon. And if we allow ourselves to be blanketed by that complacency, then no one does anything. Do we need to form committees and and fly down to Havana and organize protests in the streets? Like, what do we do? I changed my mind. It's not helplessness. It's hopelessness. I guess so. And what did you call hope? Hope is a dangerous thing. Uh, Technically, Morgan Freeman said that. (laughs) I'll tell you why I wanted to watch The Mauritanian. Because Benedict Cumberbatch? Yeah, who has this it's really distracting, but I think great American accent. <laughs> you can't tell. It's the it's the Tom Hardy accent. <laughs> Kelly said that if the if we find out if this persists and then we're going to understand why the Mauritanian didn't get a lot of attention. It's because his accent was very distracting. Those sounds should not come from him. That's that's right. It wasn't that it was bad a, a bad accent or a bad American accent. It was that it was incongruent coming from his mouth. But, you know, you got Jodie Foster. You got Shailene Woodley. I thought Tahar Rahim delivered a very respectable performance. Shailene Woodley is a high-profile actor, a higher-profile, high-profile enough. When Shailene Woodley disappears, I'm like, oh, she's coming back. She's Shailene Woodley. And sure enough, she did, just in time for the court Zoom chat. Who who told you that movies are supposed to make you feel good? No, they're not supposed to make me feel good. They're supposed to take me, they're supposed to carry me along. And... Nothing was set up in this movie so that there was any ambiguity as to what was going to happen. The only thing I was like, dude, they kept him longer still. And wow, he seems like an awfully happy guy. Those were the turns for me in this movie. Everything else was completely transparent to me, therefore devoid of some drama. So what I ended up, instead of being narratively carried along and in suspense, was here comes the torture part. Here comes the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, delirium, uh, hallucination, interrogation, or whatever. And I had to get from point A to point B, kind of already knowing where I was going to land. I had my landing spot all chosen, and, and then I landed there squarely, and then they were like, hey, we put out a light lunch for you to compensate you for everything that you went through. And you get to see the real guy, and he's singing along to the thing. And <laughs> So you were on the Jungle Cruise, and all the hippos and, and natives that pop out didn't scare you. And then when you got to the end, you realized that you actually didn't go anywhere? <laughs> <laughs> that was my Disneyland analogy. I, I just felt like the place I was going was underwhelming. I'm all annoyed, and... I tried to write it off as a kind of complacency and a malaise, but it may be post-traumatic. It may be this movie put me all through all kinds of things and didn't really give me anything new. For all its entertainment value, the Mauritanian was not fun. And maybe it shouldn't be fun, but we got it. I got the message with the torture report. What else is this movie imparting? I'm not sure what it is. I'm glad that this Mohamedou guy is on my radar. It's fascinating that he's still so happy. He married an American, and they have a you know a, a child. An attorney at like, that. C- cool. Nice to know that dude's in the world. 
you should probably, if you have it in front of you, watch the Mauritanian so that at least you understand and you don't go through life naive as I am apparently doing. I mean, my burden, my scale, my rating scale doesn't bear the same burden that yours does. It has its own problems, I admit, but I don't only give goods to movies that I would recommend. And I think that the Mauritanian operating on its own kind of level with excellent performances and filmmaking that is sufficient <laughs> and a story that's important, that's true, or at least it's based on a true story and based on Tahir Rahim's accounts. There, I don't feel like there's much I can fault the Mauritanian for. Tahir Rahim, who played Mohamedou, did a really good job. I felt his pain. And the reason I felt his pain is because that dude was actually in pain. He's a, a young actor with not a lot to lose, came into a, a high-profile role that hopefully was going to get a lot of attention for him. He was like, torture me, dude. Seriously, waterboard me. Uh, torture me for real. Uh, make my cell as cold as possible. I want to feel all these conditions. And he went all methody for it, and I wonder how well it paid off for him. I hope that Tahir Rahim feels that his dedication was worth it because this movie was not recognized by the Academy at all. It's certainly not making anybody any money, but it's there for somebody for something. It doesn't have to be for everybody to work. That's the poster quote. <laughs> uh a whatever for the Mauritanian? I didn't feel that it was pleasant to watch, and the message we got on the other end wasn't freedom and liberty. It wasn't worth breaking out of Shawshank and crawling through 500 yards of shit-smelling foulness to come out the other side because we're not free. It only affords us a view of Shawshank Prison, and we know all the atrocities that go on inside, of which we are no part and have no influence. Just say it. It's whatever. I'm not going to watch it again. The Mauritanian, Wes's latest victim. No one cares what I think. And and here comes Iris, representing justice, giving the Mauritanian good. If it helps you sleep. <laughs> right. Uh, give us a call or write to us about your hopelessness and helplessness after having seen the Mauritanian 818 eight three five zero four seven three or whatever movies at gmail.com you can't be captain save a you can't fix all the people you can't address all the injustices the bandwidth is just not enough i can't take on the mauritanian's burden <laughs> like muhammadu says freedom and forgiveness are the same thing wes so i wish you to be free thanks for listening and we'll see you next time Electric Acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A list, the F list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here. And I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric House Records. And always remember... Be love, share love, all love. 
Electric Cat.